to you all. It's been great worshipping with you all this morning, um, fixing our, our thoughts, fixing our attention on the incomparable great God, King that we worship. And, and last Sunday, and we began looking at Psalm 145, um, which was hopefully um, the, a, a, a taster or a fresh revelation from God's word of the God that we praise, the God that we serve, the God that we sing about, the God that we live for, the God that we worship, the incomparable greatness of God. And this morning we're going to take it a wee bit further by looking at um, the next few verses in Psalm 145. So if you have Ebb scripture in front of you, that'd be great. Either um, you can open it up or switch it on, however best. Also, it will come up um, behind us on the screen where you can follow along. As we said last week, um, every time we open God's word, we, we experience life, we experience truth, we experience his spirit, we experience Jesus, we encounter the mighty God, and that is the same for this morning. So if we have our Bibles open, we're going to pray before we, we read scripture this morning. God, we come in humble adoration. God, we, we bow before you. In our hearts, we humbly come. God, we, we become childlike this morning in our approach to you as we, as we explore your greatness, as we explore your kingship, as we explore your majesty, your beauty. God, we thank you already through song this morning. We have encountered you. We've explored who you are. We've explored your activities. We've explored your deeds, your almighty works. God, we humbly praise you and adore you this morning. Come and have your way in our hearts. We ask for a glimpse of you this morning. We magnify you this morning so that we may encounter you afresh. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 145, um, starting from verse 1. I will exalt you, my God, and my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. For his greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And we'll stop there for now. Primarily, we're going to cover um, verses four to six this morning. Last week we covered verses 1 to 3 um, under the theme of the incomparable greatness of God. So this is the incomparable greatness of God, part 2. Okay, so if you want part 1, um, you, can, you can check out last week's 
um, a video on, on YouTube um, or podcast as well, if you prefer. And last week, we looked at Psalm 145 primarily being a praise psalm. And we looked at some of the different um, components of, of, of the psalms and the different um, psalms that you have um, in the, the 150 poems and songs that you read in the wonderful book of Psalms. And we looked at that, that word and the title, um, which, is, which is one of the, the, the seven Hebrew words of praise that you find in scripture. And that's the word tehillah, which basically means the song of praise. So it, it can almost refer to the, to, to the heart song, the song that overflows in our heart. It's so much so that we cannot help but sing his praise. So this psalm is primarily a praise song. And last week, we looked at a couple of things in, in, in this morning. We're going to take it a wee stage further um, in this psalm in verses 46. We looked at how that central or, or, or key to our praise of God is our capacity, firstly, to bear witness to who God is. So to be able to testify to who God is, and we looked at the incomparable greatness of God. And secondly, which we're going to look at this week in more detail, is central to our praise of God is our, is our capacity to remember his deeds, to remember the activity of God. So central to living a life of praise to not just sing in a song of praise, but to live a life of praise is our capacity to bear witness to who God is, to testify to his greatness, and to remember and to recall the awesome works, the great deeds of God. And last week we looked at how it's so easy, and, and if we're not intentional about it, it's so easy to almost, in a sense, make up a God in our own image. It's so easy to make up a God in a romance, to pick and choose what parts of scripture we like, to pick and choose what parts of the, of the attributes or characteristics of God that we want to delve into and we want to explore. And that is, in one sense, dangerous because then what we do is it's almost like we put God in that box, isn't it? And we contain him. Where last week we, we looked at our approach to God should be humbly coming to explore the one who is uncreated, self-existent, eternal, all-powerful, the great I am, the beginning and the end. Everything we've been singing and proclaiming this morning, we come and explore the creator of all things. We, in essence, are created beings, finite beings. God is the uncreated, eternal self existing one that is the God that we serve that is the God that we worship and we look briefly at the the, the famous or the well-known quote by the the great theologian A.W. Tozer who who basically um, says and I'll make sure I'll, I'll, I'll quote him right what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us so what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he goes on to say, for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always about God himself. The most pertinent fact about any person is not what he or she at any given time may say or do, but what in their deep heart conceives God 
to be like. So we ended last week by looking at our hearts, looking at our souls and seeing what comes to mind in the deepest part of our being when we think about what God is like. In the first three verses, we looked at the, at the distinctive ways that the, 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 the psalmist, so the psalmist is trying to find every vocabulary possible to be able to describe the greatness of God. And we looked at the three distinct ways in verses one and two with, with, with the three um, distinctive um, Hebrew words for praise. We looked at exalt, which means to lift to the highest place. So God is the king. There is no other higher authority. We looked at the, the Hebrew word barak, which you find there in verses, uh, the, the second half of verse one and the, the first part of verse two, which, which literally means to kneel and to bow. Okay. Now, before I ever understood these distinctive Hebrew words of praise, and before you did also, I'm sure that that didn't stop you kneeling and bowing before God, because it's a natural response. It's what we're doing physically to actually say what's in our hearts. And we always don't obviously need to do that physically, but in our hearts we are saying, God, you are the king, I bow at your feet. It's a natural response when we come in contact with the great God and King. Then we looked at the, at the word halal, which is the, the root meaning for our English word hallelujah, which we declare praise to God. And, and that's to be foolish in our praise. That's, that's to rave and to boast and to shine. Not to be foolish for the sake of being foolish, but that, that conveys that sense that we don't care what anyone else is doing or what anything else is happening, you feel a rave and shout and dance and jump in God's presence, then you go for it. It's a natural response when you come into contact with the great I am, when you come into contact with the great king and the great God. And again, you don't need to understand that biblically. It is biblical, which is great. But naturally, if you feel like going for it and worship and dancing, which I know many do, then go for it as you're expressing your praise to God. And lastly, last week in verse 3, we looked at the greatness that no one can fathom and how that often what we need to do is come. When we don't understand aspects of God's character, of God's ways, that's okay, that's good, that's actually biblical because he's God and we're not. And, when I, and we looked at Isaiah 40, verse 12 to 13, and we looked at how God, the biggest things that we know about the earth, the skies, the seas, the mountains, the oceans, when Isaiah is, is thinking upon the greatness of God, metaphorically, he, he, he says that who can fathom the spirit of God or instruct him in his ways? All these things are small enough to fit in the hands of the great. God. In verses 4 to 6, the confession of praise moves on. It overflows, not only in verses 1 and 3 to focus on who God is, the great incomparable king, but it focuses on each generation confessing, speaking, proclaiming what they know to be true of God. So it moves on to focus on God's deeds his activity, who he is, and what he does. And you'll see that also um, if you actually look at a lot of the, the lyrics of the songs, for example, we're singing this morning, 
Um, a lot of it is based on the Psalms. What we're doing is we're praising God for who he is and we're praising God for his activity, for, for his deeds, for what he has done. And in verse four, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Verse five, they speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. In verse four, one generation commends your works to another. You'll see there the progression of one generation to another. The acknowledgement here of the psalmist, he's basically saying that the incomparable greatness of God isn't just a one-off experience or isn't just a one-off thing for a certain generation or a certain period of time. He wasn't just saying here for the ancient Israelites that, that this is just to be kept for us. This is to be passed on. It's a truth that is transcendent. It's an eternal truth. It's a timeless truth. And as God's people, we confess the works of God from one generation to another. We confess the greatness of God, his deeds, his activity to each generation. And that word commend, so one generation commends, that's actually another um, Hebrew word for praise that we find in this one, I guess, first four verses of the psalm, we find, what, three or four different specific words for praise. And this word commends can also be translated to English praise in some versions. I think the King James Version potentially has that um, word praise there. But the original Hebrew meaning is the word shabak. Okay, now this is an amazing uh, word. What this conveys is that it, it is basically the shout of praise. Okay, so it can be translated to address in a loud tone, a loud adoration or a shout, proclaiming with an unashamed loud voice to glory, triumph, and a testimony of praise, a testimony of praise. So again, we see here emphasizing these, these specific words for praise that we find the bow and the kneeling, the, the hallelujah and the shout of praise. So if you find yourself in corporate times or in private times of worship and you just feel a bit of breakthroughs needed, you just feel you want to express something to God, you shout, you address him in a loud tone because he's worthy of our praise. When we realize the incomparable greatness of God, the king's awesome works, our natural response is to lift a shout of praise. And there's a compelling sense to tell the next generation about who God is and what he has done. That's what happens when we realize, we catch a glimpse of who God is and his deeds and his mighty activity and his mighty works, a compelling sense. And in one sense, we could go as far as saying that as God's people, each generation, we have a responsibility. The baton is now passed to us. As followers of Jesus here now in 2022, we have a responsibility to shout about, to confess, to tell, to proclaim what we know to be true of God and his greatness. Amen. Amen. I just said that to catch a breath. Whew. Okay, verses 46 um, it's interesting, and this is important, so I want us to lean into to this part here. Important for the whole bigger picture of what this, these, these verses are meaning. 
the psalmist actually uses four different words to convey the magnitude of God's great deeds and God's great activity. In the first part of verse 4, um, here where uh, the psalmist says, one generation commends your works to another. That, that phrase here, your works, the original um, Hebrew term, actually comes from the root to make or to do. And these wordings throughout the Old Testament scriptures refer to God's acts of creation, as in God speaks things into being. And last week we touched on that, the magnitude of God's greatness and his power in creation, and also his acts in delivering his people. And that's important for what we're going to be talking about, or what we are talking about this morning. And in the second half of verse um, 4, um, there where it says, the tale of your mighty acts. The original um, wording here conveys something of God's strength and his power and his kingship. So God is the incomparable great king. Remember we've talked about that in verses 1 to 3, how he's highly exalted. There's no greater authority than him. A king who has immense power and immense strength. That is the God that we worship. God of immense power and immense strength. Then in verse 5a, the first part of of 5, they speak of your glorious splendor, of your majesty. The part there about your wonderful works. This same Hebrew term actually um, refers specifically to the Exodus event. Um, where we see God's powerful act of deliverance, where God approved himself to be the great king. So this same term is seen elsewhere in the Old Testament with specific reference to the amazing Exodus event that we also see that the narrative of that in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And then lastly, the wonderful works that's seen at the beginning of verse Five. Sorry, um, the awesome works that's seen at the beginning of verse six. The term awesome works, the tale of the power of your awesome works. This part here um, actually has, has, has a root meaning in the word to fear. Okay, and here it's translated in English as awesome works. So it's conveying something that when we know the awesome works and deeds and power of the great God that it inspires and is a holy fear, a holy awe, and a holy wonder. So when we encounter or when we declare the deeds, the activity, the power of our great God, the one that we worship, the God that we serve, it inspires and is a holy fear, a holy awe, and a holy wonder. And, And often... If you think about how we talk about God and how we think about God, we can approach God sometimes very lightly, can't we? Very blasé. And remember the majority of, of, of people that you know and, and the majority of people in the West in some sense would say, they know there's a God, yeah? God's, got, God's there somewhere. He's the big man upstairs. He's, he's there. He's, you know, whatever. In reality, 
often, even as believers, even as Christians, our thoughts about God and how we speak about God can be very blasé. But here the psalmist is saying, when we see God's awesome power, his strength, his work, who he is and what he has done, it inspires in us an awe and a wonder which causes us to worship him even more, which causes us to explore scripture to get to know him more. It causes us to, to pray more. It causes us to ask other mature Christians, tell me more about God and what he's like and what he's done. Show me more. It encourages discipleship in our life. So the majority of the terms that's used in verses 46 appear in the story related to Israel's deliverance from Egypt. This moment for God's people in the Old Testament, which remembers the context of when these Psalms were written originally, was a moment that was embedded into them as a collective. So as God's people as a collective, the story of the Exodus, which was almost the birth story for the nation of Israel, God's people at the time, reminding them of the God that they serve, the God that they worship, the incomparable, the powerful one, the act of deliverance. If you read the narrative in Exodus, it shows God's ultimate authority, God's ultimate power. It shows how God hears the cry of his people when they were in slavery and captivity. He hears a cry. He's the loving, he's the loyal one, he's a faithful one to rescue his people from the hand of Pharaoh from the land of slavery, from that bondage ship that they were under. He hears their cry. He rescues them. He rescues them. So for God's people to recall the Exodus story of deliverance and freedom and other stories of God's greatness, it shaped them as a people. It shaped them as a people of praise where they're reminded of the greatness of God's, his activities, his deeds. Because remember, God's people then were, were, were living in a culture where all around them were worshipping false gods. Where pagan worship and idolatry was happening all around them. So, you'll see for us, here and now as followers of Jesus, okay, that if we're not reminded of what God, who he is and what he's done, so easily to get caught up in idol worship of our day and so easy to get caught up in idolatry. But God's people, this was embedded in them, what God had done, how he had delivered them, how he had delivered their ancestors and set them free and shaped them as a people. So the question for us And this is important. If the most important thing about us is what we think God to be like, then this is important for us. As God's people here and now, me and you as his church, 2022, what are the works? What are the mighty acts of God? What are the wondrous works and awesome deeds that we are remembering? That we are shouting about? that we are proclaiming from the rooftops, that we are telling and passing on to the next generation, from one generation to another. 
what are we hearing now as God's people shouting about from the rooftops? What story are we living in and therefore living out? What are we passing on to the next generation? If central to our praise of God is remembering his activity, what song are we singing? What story are we proclaiming and living out? Now, but I ask that in humility and pastorally this morning, but I want to say with confidence that we are living in God's story. And that is very evident from our corporate worship, isn't it? When we come together as God's people, we raise our hands, we worship, we don't stir that up. That's us proclaiming who God is and what he has done. Amen. And the Exodus narrative provides a foretaste of God's ultimate rescue plan in Christ. So first and foremost, our story that we're living in and singing out and living out is found in God's story. Remember, the only reason, and this is important, the only reason that we exist as church, not just as Glasgow Elam, but the local church all over and the church of Jesus Christ all over the world, the only reason we exist is because of Jesus. The only reason we exist is because of him, Jesus. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus is, as it says in Ephesians, our chief cornerstone. We're building upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ. He is building his church. We are living in God's story. All around us, the world, those who are not believers, those who are not putting their faith in Jesus, those who are not, in a sense, forever, I guess, terminology this morning, part of, of his church. I guess there's a narrative that is happening, isn't there? And if we're not careful, if we don't remember who God is, and what he has done and what he is doing and what he has promised to do and that he's faithful to fulfill these promises. As his church, we can get caught up in a false narrative. And we don't want to, don't we not? As Glasgow Elam, as his believers here and now, we don't want to. So in the same way as the, the, the ancient Israelites, the people of God, were recounting and remembering the great exodus event, which in some sense is their birth story as a people, our birth story is the church, is Jesus, is Jesus Christ. We live in the light of Jesus. We live in the light of his incarnation, where God incarnate, remember the historical event of the incarnation, the, the, the widely attested historical event of Jesus Christ living breathing, the God-man, the Son of God, walking this earth, his life, his death, his atonement, the cross, where we see forgiveness, his resurrection. Now, I don't know if you know, notice, but, but the, 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 the times corporately when we're praising God, the moment that gets the most, what's the right wording here? Applause or acclaim in our hearts, not stirred up, but just that natural overflow 
is normally the resurrection. Yeah, if you think about it. Yeah, the resurrection, I guess, is the thing that holds that all together. It was when God, the Son, Jesus Christ, and God incarnate, proved himself, in one sense, to be God when he rose from the dead. That is, as we know, a great deed, yeah? I mean, yeah. What surprises me, actually, is recently, um, a very good um, statistics were released called Talking Jesus. It's worth really looking into it. We are... Um, uh, the Evangelical Alliance and others wanted to get research on, on, on the UK and where they were at in terms of faith. And their statistic was quite astonishing as it's 66% of the UK um, believe in the resurrection or think that the resurrection is true. Now, that's astonishing in the sense that, that surely if they believe in the resurrection, if we believe in the resurrection, then that is of infinite importance to our life, isn't it? Everything changes if God came in the flesh and rose from the grave. That is why that stirs not an emotion in us. It's because our spirit testifies with that truth. That is a great deed of God. That is his activity. That is him working historically in this earth. And we live in the light of that. That is not our story made up. That is God's story that we are living in, okay? And the gospel of Jesus is good news. It's the good news that the kingdom of God has broken in. The significance of the incarnation, the life, the death, the resurrection, his ascension to, to the right hand of the Father, and then Pentecost, all of that we're living in. The light of that, that is who we are is God's people. Now, if there's something that is worth shouting about that is more important than that, then tell me, yeah? And tell you as his people, there's nothing that is worth more than shouting about and praising than that. That is God's activity in our world, and we are his people, passing that truth on from one generation to the next. That is the gospel. That's who we are as his people. That's what we proclaim. That's what we praise. That's what we sing about. And that's what we live out. Amen. Now, I think that deserves some praise. Yeah, I'm feeling to give that some praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, we praise you, Lord. You're the great and awesome one. Amen. Now, we, um, for the last six months, um, I've, I've had the privilege of taking um, some of our, our young, young adults through some Bible um, teaching. Um, and, and there's been a phrase that has been hopefully embedded into these guys' hearts. I, I don't know if I want to take the risk in asking them. It's, it's a tough one. But what do you think? If they get it wrong, then I'll feel really discouraged. If they get it right, I'll feel that my work here is done. Okay, guys, so what's been the phrase? Who's nominating, Josh? Um, it's the story you live in is the story you live out. That's the phrase that has been drilled into all of us, literally. So, yeah. The story you live in is the story you live out. Give Josh some... Some love.
Okay. The story you live in is the story you live out. Okay, this is important, okay? I didn't coin that phrase, by the way. Either did Josh. It's, it's one of these phrases that so many people, I guess, have used that, that they kind of claim that they made it up. Um, but anyway, the story you live in is the story you live out. It's profound. And whether we like it or not, we are all caught up in a narrative. We are all caught up in a story. And that story that we live in is therefore the story that we live out, okay? Or in other words, we're all shaped by a narrative. And the world has been swept along by a narrative. It's one that the world is shouting about. Proclaiming, retelling, passing on to the next generation. There's many ways you could explain that narrative. And I am not a sociologist or a futurist or um, have expertise in culture and cultural forums and norms. But I guess we all know what that narrative can look like. It can look like immense secularism that is speaking in to our society. It can look like materialism, a distorted view of freedom. Okay? And that, I guess, is from post-enlightenment, the whole thing of you can be free, you can do what you want, you can do what you want. Actually, society now is more bound than ever. And that's not just an opinion, that, that, that is factual. Um, subjective morality, so what all that is, is like making up morals for yourself. Okay, it's okay, I feel like doing it, so I'll just do it, rather than objective morality, which is, 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 a, is a biblical view, i.e. if God is the origin of humanity and of creation of everything, then there's an objective morality rather than a subjective one. And we could go on and on with social trends, the reality is, what I'm trying to say is, there's a story that the world is living in. And therefore, living out in choices, in decisions, and what it is creating, it is leading to destruction, isn't it? Again, you don't need me to say that. That's not necessarily an opinion. That is factual through history and also being played out now in the 21st century. And the world is shouting about it. The narrative has been passed on. And we know we're living in challenging times, yeah? In every area, we're living in challenging times. So whether we're conscious of it or not, as individuals or as his church, it's easy if we lose sight of who God is in what he has done, that we will be caught up in that narrative. So the story that we live in, and I want to add something to, to this phrase, so the story you live in is a story you live out. In relation to this psalm and being a people of praise, we can say that the story that you live in is a story that you sing out 
and the story that you live out. Now, if our view of God is weak and we're not recalling or remembering his great deeds and great activities, then our praise becomes apathetic. We know that in our own lives, don't we? At best, it becomes apathetic. Um, we, we, it becomes lip service. And at best, and I say this lovingly, pastorally to myself, to us as a, as a body here, that at best what it can be like is it's almost like a pick-me-up praise song that, that we kind of give to God. And in essence, I'm not saying anything wrong with that at all. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But in reality, we know that to become a people of praise who sing it out, who live it out, we need to have capacity to know who God is and what he has done, what he's doing and what he is going to do. Amen. Amen. So it's three quick things and I mean quick things before we conclude. So how practically or, or in reality do we live this story out? Okay. Now to remember God's activity to be able to live in the story of God. I've just got three quick things. One is God's story. Two is our personal story. And three is the stories of our community of faith. So how do we put this into practice? How do we become a people of praise who know who God is and remember what he has done? So we're living in that story, immersed in that story of who God is, what he's done, and then living that out in our daily lives and in culture and shouting about it to a world that needs to know it. Okay, one, God's story. We need to be immersed in the story of scripture. So what we've done, what we have done with young, young adults, although we've only reached Exodus, so we've taken six months to look at Genesis. So in reality, currently they only know Jen, not Kinnam. But what, what we have sought to do is to hold true or to hold vital importance of the key biblical themes, okay? So even the fact, not even, but especially the fact that God is the creator, okay, is something that naturally is contested because it is of vital importance. Because God, if God is the origin, the beginning of everything, then that means that God is of vital importance, yeah? We conclude that as Christians. But as believers, we not only need to be, I guess, certain of that, which we are, but able to articulate that well into culture. So the story we're living in, if God, which he is, is the center, the source, the beginning of everything, that changes everything. That he's the uncreated eternal one, the one true and sovereign God. Key biblical theme that we learn the story of God, that's our story. That's what we sing about, that's what we praise God about when we see his power in creation. To create something out of nothing, that is who our God is. That is who we worship. And then we've talked about the story of God fulfilled in Jesus. We talked about five, ten minutes ago, so I don't want to go over that too much. But it's the gospel, it's Jesus Christ, it's his life, his death, his resurrection, the church, Pentecost. We're living in that story. The kingdom of God has broken in and we're living within that. That is the reality. The world is heading somewhere. And in the light of the resurrection, we can be confident where it's heading. Because Jesus is alive 
and he's on the throne and he's our king. And one day we will rise again with him. That is the truth that we believe and we need to be shouting about that because it's his story. That's where we are living in right now, part of his church. The great commission to go into all the world and preach, all of that's there. That's where we're living in. Okay, our story. Okay, our personal story. Now, I don't mean that we need an amazing testimony. Okay, I don't mean that at all. Okay, how that, you know, we don't need that. If we do have that, oh, brilliant. You shout about that like you've never seen before because that is your story, that is your testimony. But each of us has that personal story of the goodness of Jesus in our life. Okay, through the cross that we've received forgiveness, we've received freedom, we've received healing, we've received deliverance. How that we've seen God come through for us. These are all part of our stories. When we've seen the faithfulness of God outworked in our lives. When we have felt his protection and guidance in our lives. If we, as we've sought to obey God, to follow his ways. So to be immersed in the story of scripture and the teachings of Jesus. How by doing that we have been blessed and we have seen God's provision and protection and guidance in their lives. The goodness and love that we've experienced. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. We've been filled with the Spirit. How we hear God's voice and sense his presence in our life. All of these things and many more are our personal stories that we have to pass to the next generation, one generation to the next. God's story, our personal story. And lastly, the stories of our community of faith, which is the church. We celebrate life's being transformed. You know, every person in this room if you've came to know Jesus, is a life that is transformed and being transformed. And if your faith is in Jesus, you have an eternal hope. An example of that, what, three, four weeks ago was it? Baptisms. We celebrated lives being transformed, coming from death to life. That's part of the story of God. That's part of recounting God's works, his glorious works, lives being transformed, the power of the gospel in reality. You know, the story of God isn't only true, but the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus also works. Also works. What Jesus promised to do is now being a reality. You need to know that Christianity the followers of Jesus is, is the biggest people movement across the whole planet. Yeah, one third of the, the earth, one third of the world believes in Jesus. Christianity is the biggest people movement in the world, exploding in various parts of the world. Yeah. And again, not a, not a historian to, to be able to see all that with great statistics. But what I do know and what I have studied recently is Christianity is exploding all across the world. Why? Because it's true and because it works. And in this nation and where we are here in this city and in this nation, it's time for the church to rise up again, yeah? 
And that is you and that is me carrying, singing out and living out. God's story, our personal story, and the stories of faith in our community. When we look at the history of Glasgow Elam, yeah, what, that, what we're doing when we do that is that we are recounting God's faithfulness, the miracles, the healings, 90 years of God's provision, 90 years of God's protection, 90 years of salvations and healings and freedoms and renewal and outpourings. What we're doing is that we're recounting the stories, the greatness of God. Not that we necessarily need it, but it's a reminder that God is at work in what he's done before. He is doing right now in our lives and many lives in here and across the world, and he will continue to do. So to conclude, before we pray and worship together, and maybe the band can do that, uh, come up now, that'd be awesome, thank you. Is that if we desire to live a life of praise, if we desire to be a people of praise, praising King Jesus, we need to be embedded and continually remember and recall and proclaim and shouting about who God is, what God has done, what he is doing, and what he has promised to do, and knowing that he is faithful to deliver. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The story that we are living in and therefore singing out and living out will be determined by our view of God and his activity in the world around us. So back to Psalm 145. To live a life of praise, I think we need the same view of God and his activity as the psalmist does here. Can we stand and can we read this together? As we, we pray. God, we recognize you as the incomparable, great God and King. God, when we echo these amazing words, I will extol you, my God and my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. And every day I will praise you. I will extol your name forever and ever for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. For his greatness, no one can fathom. One generation commends or shouts your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. I will proclaim your great deeds. For they celebrate your abundant goodness and sing joyfully. Oh, sing joyfully to the Lord and sing of your righteousness. And even though we've not unpacked them, let's continue. Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. It's who he is. He's slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has, ha he has compassion in all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and they speak of your might. 
so that all people may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in the proper time. Open, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.